Making Data Simple listeners. This is part two of our 100th episode special. So if you haven't already, of course, please check out part one, which was released earlier. I also want to take a quick moment to say thank you. A big thanks to everybody listening. You're the reason we've made it this far and continue to to produce this endeavor. Uh, I'm like the worst part of this podcast. I got great guests and none of this would have been impossible without your incredible support. So thanks again. And here's part two with John Cohn. Enjoy. Let's go. You're listening to Making Data Simple, where we make the world of data effortless, relevant, and yes, even fun. So listeners, you get deep tech all the time, but you do not get this kind of information. So this is, you know, so, so thank you for staying with us here. So I do want to transition because I think, you know, a lot of the, the, this play that you do, uh, has a direct intersection with work. Uh, and I think that's what, why it makes you so successful and effective here at IBM. So I I guess the question I'll, I'll start with is, you know, we, we talked about this to start. You're, you're, you're an IBM fellow with the MIT IBM Watson Research Group. There's got to be a ton of fascinating projects you're working on. Can you talk a little bit about those and, and, and how, in your own way, John, you're disrupting the world? <laughs> well, I, I don't know if I'm, uh, I'm not as disruptive as somebody once said that I should aspire to be as, as uh, disruptive as my hair makes me look. <laughs> but, but, um, I actually am always trying to push myself because I you, you constantly need to disrupt yourself out. I find. Yeah. Um, so what actually happened is, you know, as I mentioned, I you know the the stuff I'd been doing for fun kind of got me the job at in the IoT area, and that for almost three years I worked there, and that was based in Munich. So I was commuting back and forth to Munich, and I wanted to. Well, it was it was actually kind of an interesting. The, the pra- practically that was getting a little long. You know, I had got all the frequent flyer miles I ever would need, but <laughs> I started to to want to do something closer to home. And um, and what was interesting is that I I started to fall in love with artificial intelligence, which is a you know kind of a catch all term. But it turns out when you're doing Internet of Things, um, you have lots of data, and frankly, a lot of the data is boring. You know, it's sort of like, you know, the temperature is always 75, 75, <laughs> right. 70. then it goes 110 and you got to go, well, what, what happened? And so it turns out that artificial intelligence is a really good, um, you know, uh, it, it, parts of AI are, are, are really good at detecting anomalies and, and sort of predicting what's going to happen and, and then detecting whether it's going to improve. And while I was working in Munich on IOT, I started to fall in love with those techniques. And it turned out that, that the MIT, IBM, uh, so M, uh, IBM made a very big commitment, a quarter of a billion dollar, and I'm doing the Dr. Evil thing, you know, quarter, quarter of a billion dollars um, uh, donation, uh, well, commitment, not donation, to, to yeah. uh, collaboration with MIT. Uh, and that was, uh, it was just two years ago, uh, uh, the second week of September. And what that involves was, you know, that we, we have a, uh, a team that's over 50 people, um, uh, most of whom lit, actually work with us at the, uh, the uh, 
IBM Cambridge Lab, which is just off the MIT campus. We're actually moving onto campus uh, uh, mid next year. Um, and uh, that uh, includes funding for joint work. We have about, we have over 60 projects and each of these projects are uh, jointly run. So it's not just us giving money to a university. We have these joint projects are always done with a, a, a a tenured faculty on the MIT side, or you know, a, 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 a not necessarily a tenure, you know, an adv- uh, a senior faculty on the MIT side, and a senior research person from IBM Research. And this is the first time, by the way, that I, you know, I've worked in research with research for almost thirty years, but I've um, this is the first time I've been in the organization, which is really fun. So we we manage this portfolio of joint work, and they're they're done like any sort of you know pr- you. you the uh, the professor and the IBM researcher will put in a proposal and then the proposals are ranked by a group of people from the MIT side, the IBM side, as well as we have a client partnership program. So companies can come join us and actually you know, participate in the joint work. From that, those proposed things, we pick out uh, a subset of you know about $9 million worth a year of funding as well as dedicating resource from our side. And we do it in a variety of areas, you know, uh, algorithms for AI, you know, how the actual software and, and, and formulations work, um, uh, sort of the physics of AI, um, you know, using different technologies, uh, 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 silicon technologies to sort of manage the, um, how, how uh, we'll be able to keep the energy scaling on, on, on AI working. AI is applied to various industries like security and finance and healthcare. And then a lot of work on things like AI ethics and AI fairness that uh, that's that's been really a, 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 an interesting area. And so I've been working on some AI toys, which I'd be very happy to share with your your listeners, uh, one in particular. Would that be OK? Yeah, yeah. Go ahead. Okay. So uh, my friend, uh, so I, I created a, a, a fun uh sort of a visual experience that you can actually use on your phone or tablet or laptop. It's, it's a, it's a, an AI version of a musical instrument called a theremin. So it was a theremin was a, a musical instrument that you played by moving your hands around in the air and it, it would sense the position of your hands and, and, and change the tone or volume. So it's about a hundred year old instrument invented by a mm-hmm. guy named Lev Theremin. Well, I created a visual theremin using AI that basically it, uh, we have, we used a whole bunch of, uh, we used a, a, a pre-trained model that had taken a bunch of pictures of people in various poses and was able to parse out from that where your arms were and where your head was, et cetera. So, uh, and then by moving your arms, you know, moving your right arm up and down and your left arm uh, left and right, you could control the sound and it, you can actually get this to work on your phone or your tablet. And uh, to get to it, you would you would look at, um, uh, I think y- you need HTTPS, but I think you can just go to ibm.biz. So ibm.biz slash Veramen. I would, uh, you, what you do is you, you turn it, you run it on your, your machine and it'll ask you if you can use the camera and say yes. You have to have the sound on. And then you position it and you stand back and you move your arms around and you should be able to make somewhat beautiful music. And if you have a, a laptop and you're using the Chrome web browser, you can actually use this as a MIDI controller. So I can use it to control 
the 30 foot keyboard or my musical Tesla coil or fire effects. So <laughs> everything kind of comes back to the same thing. But the nice thing is, is that the code to make this, my friend, Bob Barbosa actually helped me clean this up very much. And we put together an open source, not only uh, the code is free, but we've actually created a, a tutorial on how you might you know, use that if you were a high school student, you wanted to make. And the whole idea is to get people to sort of start to be interested and curious and make AI more accessible so that we can start having a more informed populace. So anyway, wow. I'd be very interested if anybody has a has feedback for us on that. It's, it's so definitely a work in progress. Where can the, all right, so I got it. We will put it in the show notes, but this is, this is the location that you provided anybody. I was trying to go out there, but it's hard to do both and talk at the same time. Does uh, it, it, anybody can go out there and play with this, right? As long as you promise to have fun. Sure. Yeah. And, but where do you, you said it was open source as well. Where can I get the open source? Same location? If you actually bring up the thing um, at the bottom you will see uh, uh, what's called a, a Git repository, and anybody who's uh, a, a code right. person will know exactly what that is. And so you would uh, go and you'd look at the Git repo, and uh, um, you can uh, fork the code and, and do it yourself. Let me see if I can. I don't know if you can hear that. Let's see. I, I could hear it. I could hear something. <laughs> I don't know. It's like Dr. Brown in his lab. I don't know. The clocks are about to go off, I think. 88 miles an hour. <laughs> anyway, well, so you're playing you that right now. Just, just you're doing air guitar. This is a new. Uh, it's yeah. like it's like a new version it, of air guitar. That's serious. But it's an AI air guitar. That's yes. the key point. That's yeah. fantastic. Um. So let me let me ask you something though. You, you talked about this. You're doing a. I don't know how you do this many projects, man. You've got your hands in a little bit of everything. I, I'm sure you got a lot of support, but you know, you talk about IBM did commit uh, a one billion dollar investment, and you're at the forefront of that. How do you define success in a lot of this stuff that you're doing? I mean, how do you know that? Hey, look, we're moving the needle here. I mean, what 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 measures do you look at and say, yeah, look, uh, we're killing it here in that in that kind of in that investment yeah, and everything else around it. It's really interesting that you should say that, um, you know, at the, um, there are different stakeholders, right? So we know, so we're, we're in the part of research, which is the, uh, so we have different horizons and we're in the exploratory part. So our job is really to advance science. So, you know, at the same time, we're part of, a, a you know, IBM, which is a, a commercial company. And so we want to also do you know, impact our uh, clients and our IBM business. So we're doing a lot of, uh, you know, it's kind of an interesting thing because we have to actually manage that sort of wider portfolio. Um, but as a, as a research institute, our, our, what we know, you know, we're trying to um, uh, measure ourselves uh, by uh, publications. You know, like any academic, we, we're trying to always um, uh, figure out, you know, how many how many papers we can write? How much, and more importantly, how impactful those papers are? How how well how often are they cited? Um, and uh, you know how um, how many patents we create? You know that that invention is so fine balance between putting things in open source. A lot of our research is in, is open, um, and uh, but a lot of it is uh, 
you know, we're, we're also trying to, to protect the IP by way of patents. So those are, that's another metric. Uh, but I think that some of it is is kind of intangible. You know, we want to provide value into the community. Right. One of the things that we're intent on doing is making an impact to the science and actually, you know, contributing. Um, one of the things that I've been leading personally is a project um, around uh, the compute resource. At MIT, there's estimated to be a, dem- a, five, a demand of 5x more accelerated compute than we have right now. And um, in um, this year, uh, uh, John Kelly, our, our uh, executive VP, um, uh, made a, uh, uh, an announcement that we were going to donate a, a, a supercomputer to MIT that was modeled after Summit, which is the world's largest and fastest computer that was built by IBM for the U.S. government. Um, I'm very pleased to say that about four weeks ago, three weeks ago, I was able to actually turn this thing on. You know, physically turn it on, and we've been benchmarking it uh, so that we're we're really radically increasing the amount of compute that MIT uh, researchers can get access to. And right now, um, it turns out that our computer, which is you know comfortably in the top 500 list, you know, which is a a, a list that actually is made every year of of the t- the top 500 computers in the world, so our, we're comfortably in there. But it turns out that our little computer, which is named Satori which is means sudden enlightenment. And it's also the name of one of my, my dogs, <laughs> uh, but Satori <laughs> might actually be among the top five, might even be higher than that. What remains to be seen, uh, most energy efficient computers. So it's, it's going to be one of the most energy efficient computers, uh, supercomputers on the world. And, well, uh, but are we talking quantum or I, I guess we're not talking quantum. What makes right. it unique? This is a this is a what's called accelerated computing. So it's it's high performance computing. So it, this is a sixty four way uh, Power AI box that has uh, two hundred fifty six uh, Nvidia V one hundred GPUs uh, graphics processing units, and that's kind of the currency of compute. So that's um, well, let's see, it, it was about one point seven petaflops. You know, four years ago that would have been the fastest computer, one of the fastest computers in the world. But luckily, you know, compute is advancing pretty quickly. Uh, but this is a, a more traditional computer, but it has the the additional uh, uh, capability of these graphics processing units. And what's so important about that is that the that the um, uh, open source platforms that people use for, for deep learning, machine learning, uh, AI, uh, rely on those graphics processing units to do the very intense mathematics, vector mathematics that these neural nets take. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's a specialized computer, but it's not, it, this is something that's running today on real problems. Um, you know, I think quantum is an incredible, incredibly cool area, but it'll be several years before, you know, you'd be able to actually use it on, on these kind of problems. That's one of the wonderful things when you think about the future of computing, we've kind of moved from sort of simple computing, which is just, you know, ones and zeros to this kind of, we, we like to think of it from bits to neurons, which is basically computers that are constructed to, to accelerate these neural models of, of uh, you know, AI. And then eventually to qubits, which is a unit of computation for, uh, for quantum. And what we see is that we're going to have compute systems that are a hybrid of all of these things. So this is a, this is a, a what I would call a neuron computer, a pretty mm-hmm. big one. 
So we're very proud of that. But in kind of in terms of what our contribution is, we want to be, a, a, you know, contributing in, a, in a, an important way to the advancements of knowledge. For example, on this topic of neurosymbolic, this is something that we feel is incredibly important that these hybrids of both neural computing and symbolic computing coming together, we, we are on the way of establishing ourselves into, uh, you know, as a leader in those er in that area. Um, yeah, we've, we're very proud of the amount of uh, uh, recognition that we're starting to get, but this is a really, really, this is a complete meritocracy. It doesn't matter who, what company you are or anything else. Everything is measured, you know, uh, and, and tried by everyone. So it's, a, it's an incredibly um, rigorous, you know, mathematically rigorous and, and demanding field. And so it's super fun to be, you know, kind of right in the middle of it. It's uh, kind of going back to our original conversation. It is just like a reality show. <laughs> so um, a couple other questions. Look, one thing I'll, you know, I, I pause and say here, John, is that um, this is fascinating. There's so many questions I have. I can't get to them. I'm just telling you. I, I, I'm going to have to beg you to come back on at a future time. I got more questions. I'm not done yet, but uh, I hope that uh, I can twist your arm to come back and dissect sure. some of these different areas like quantum and other things. Because, I, again, I think you've got a unique ability to take the complex and make it understandable for the rest of us. Uh, but a couple of the things I wanted to ask you, so I'll twist your arm later, but because um, you're working on so many diff different projects, which is another question I have, and how do you manage that? But we'll get to that, you know, when, when, as we finish. But you got like this lack show. Lack of that? sleep. Yeah, lack of sleep. <laughs> well, it's it's obvious, though, that, that you you intersect. I mean, this is what your your passion is. Your passion matches your work, which is, it's which is you know, I think everybody's dream, you know, right? I mean, maybe I'm wrong there, but... Uh, I think that's that's the only way you can be doing the amount of uh, things that you're doing. But you've got this show called Jolts and, and Volts. Uh, I know you're also you know have some current efforts working uh, with with Disney. Can you at least hit on those a little bit before we before we wrap up here today? Sure. <laughs> um, again, it, it's it's all it, it, in a weird way though. It's it it is actually all one thing. It's really um, I think my. My formula is I like making things with people and then going to talk to people like you about making things with people and yeah. hopefully getting other people to go make things with people. So it's kind of a little viral thing. Um, and I, um, the uh, Jolts and Volts was actually the first thing that I, it was, it was one of the things that I've been doing. I did the first of them in 1992. That's possible so the basically i've always i as a kid you know as a nerdy kid i i did a lot of this experimentation on my own uh, but when i started having my our, our own kids i found that it was really fun to share and it was, it was kind of an interesting thing i think back like uh i never was the the dad that would go throw a baseball around with his kids i'm so such a klutz you know but my kids liked, grew up, you know, learning how to make stuff and blow stuff up in the backyard. And, you know, so, and I'm, I'm really I think that's pretty cool. Stuff. What yeah. kid doesn't like to blow things up, you know? Well, it's funny because they, it, it's funny. My, um, my, uh, my oldest is a, does make, is a maker for a living. He works in Santa Fe at a place called Meow Wolf, which you should check out. So he's a, 
incredible welder and programmer and uh, you know uh, 3D printer laser guy. Um, and our youngest son, Gabe, is uh, is a second year grad student at uh, a cancer biologist, but he's a lab rat, loves that. And my our middle son, Sam, passed away in 2006, was also a, an amazing uh, maker and, uh, uh, you know, musician. And it was actually when Sam died that I started really leaning into this jolts and volts, et cetera. I, I had, as the kids were young, I was doing this science with them in the backyard. And then when it was time to, you know, bring this, your parents to work to school day, I would start doing that. And it was kind of coincided with me starting to look a little bit crazier and I developed this whole shtick, uh, you know, with the with the lab coat, you know, the tie dye lab coat, et cetera. That it I works. started doing different science shows, and the one that I do them. So I've done talks on Nikola Tesla. I've done chemistry talks, and light talks. But the thing that I that really stuck was electricity. That's my main thing. And I do a jolts and volts is is microvolts to megavolts, and we basically it's an hour an hour show makes a huge mess where you come in and you start out, you know, playing with a real theremin and it's a participatory show. And I've done it for, you know, three kids and I've done it for, you know, a thousand kids at once. And basically it, it takes us, it takes you very quickly from very small amounts of electricity and then kind of goes up orders of magnitude, you know, a millionth of a volt, a thousandth of a volt, volts, tens of volts, hundreds mm-hmm. of volts, thousands of volts, tens of thousands of volts, and eventually millions. And it goes everything from, you know, microvolt making music with a theremin up to a Tesla coil. I'm proud to say I now have, well, I have seven Tesla coils, but I now have one that I can take with me on an airplane, which is. <laughs> and, and, and you don't, wow. Uh, you, you know, you can get that through of, security, right? Yeah, yeah, you got this sort of, you have to look them in the eye and say, look, if I was going to make something incredibly dangerous, I wouldn't make it look incredibly dangerous, right? Um, <laughs> For me, I'd be I'd be on the ground with my hands behind my back. You, I guess they say, well, go uh, on through, it professor. Is, it, is a, it is a dance. It is a dance. But, you know, I, I obviously, uh, safety, you know, joking aside, you have to be very, I'm very safety conscious. You know, it, yeah, yeah. I might, it, uh, at Burning Man, they always say safety third. I, but I, when you're working with students, you have to be very careful. So yeah, yeah. that jolts and bolts thing is, I still, you know, I, I do have a very pretty busy life as we all do, but yeah. I still make time to do that show. And like, I live in a rural, beautiful rural Vermont, and uh, I still make time to, you know, drive two hours to go to a, like a rural, um, you know, elementary school or li- or public library and and do that because that to me is the most grounding thing I do because you know mm-hmm. actually you you really got kids for an hour and you yeah. really got to them interested it really makes you up your game it's it's something isn't that funny how you know yeah. I mean colleagues are one thing when you get in front of kids you got to be they'll be brutally honest you got to be on your on your game to to inspire them and then that's the most probably rewarding sounds like you could have become a teacher and maybe that's still in your future yeah actually it's interesting i'm uh doing more um i'm i'm sort of dedicating to myself to do about 25% of my time to be doing outreach as i kind of get as i ease myself towards what's whatever's next 
So you, you got to talk to me about this real quick. So uh, I want to ask you one more question and then, I, well, this is not exactly true. I'm going to ask you a question and then I got a little game I want to play with you to end here. But sure. um, uh, the, the last question, and it's kind of a tough one, but I mean, it's really important to me because I, I see all the things you're doing. I see your passion. I've seen you speak, et cetera. You have got, uh, like I said, I already talked about your unique ability of taking complex, making it understandable for the rest of us. But you also seem like, you tell me if I'm right or wrong, you have this intersection of play and work. And uh, I, can you talk about how that, exp- how, how you've been able to take that and help that with, or help drive innovation and ideation, I guess, in terms of what you do, because I, I think that that's the unique ability that you have as well. And I know, and, and I'm very, very sorry about the, the, the passing of, of, of your son, Sam, terribly sorry. I, you've talked about that. You talk about some of your, your pitches. I can tell you that he would be very proud of you. I, I have to say, given all you've done and, and how did that influence your love of play? Because you really taken this to another level that I think we could all aspire to achieve. Well, I, uh, I really appreciate the, your thoughts on Sam. Um, what that's done, uh, would he be proud of me? I guess so. Um, what, what I think kind of the, this whole focus on play what I found going through that loss, it was, uh, you know, it was a really hard reset, as I imagine anyone would understand. Of course. And I found that the, 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 the only thing you could do was to, you know, you had to, you had to forge that into something. Either that or you just sat there and dried up. And um, yeah. what I found is that when I w- would help other people, I know this sounds a little, tr- I don't mean it to sound so saccharine, but when, when I would help other people, when I would like kind of give out to people, it would make, make me feel better. And so I started doing more of that. And I found that the more I could do this work, especially with students, with kids, uh, yeah. the more I could kind of brighten them up and, 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 and do something that, that I know was helping them and that they liked. It wasn't like just broccoli, go eat it. Um, the better I felt. And, and it, it really allowed me to, I don't know, it was kind of like a weird alchemy. If I, I can't quite describe it, but you know, you've got this, um, this grieving to do, and there's a certain, there's a, a certain amount of it. There's a lot of it. And the way I felt is the only way I could do, I could transform it into something good. And that's really when I started to, to think of myself as this kind of scientist, you know, as a, a scientist to make, you know, I, what I'm interesting, I started out when I first was doing this, I was thinking about it from a, okay, we, you know, like as a pure engineer, you know, we've got this problem, you know, not enough people are going into engineering and science. We got to go convince them. And, um, after Sam died, I came up with, came across it in a completely different way. And you know, partially it was around Sam and partially it was just where I was in my life which are kind of two inseparable things right now. Um, but it, it was not that I was trying to get people to go be engineers or scientists. It was that I loved it and that I was sharing it. And I, I make this analogy to, you know, like a musician, if you, you like going to hear music, you know, mostly the person, the, the band or the, the, the artist that's playing is not trying to convince you to go become an artist. They're, they're doing it out of love of sharing what they love. And it's really comes from there. It's I'm much less focused on 
trying to make more engineers or more AI people or something like that. I'm more focused on trying to make this, you know, um, tangible and meaningful and beautiful and fun for other people. And I kind of have come, I think this is a big transformation around Sam's death is that I think the world is about fun and love. You know, it, there isn't really any other reason. And I, I really, it's funny because, you know, the world certainly is in a funny place right now. And, um, people, I know so many people get, maybe so it should be, up. it may, it should be a little bit more fun than it is, but keep going. Yes, well, I agree. In the end, yeah. People get so worked up about stuff and I do too. And I, 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 I want to, I hasten to add that, you know, while I, I play a lot, I worry a lot, you know, everybody does. I, you know, I get all torqued out over work and various other things in life. But what I find is that when you're just doing stuff and you're just throwing it in and you're throwing it in there with your heart and you're not so worried about what the outcomes are and you're just doing it to, to have fun and to have other people have fun. Uh, it's the only thing that really matters. It's the only thing that really, 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 really matters. I mean, what else matters? You know, if you don't feel good, it doesn't matter how much money you have or, you know, on the other hand, if you, you're happy and you feel good, it doesn't, it, the, those other kind of mechanical things don't matter so much. So to me, it's, it's the only thing we can do. And it's, it's just, you know, it's uh, kind of coming from your heart as well as your hands. And that's, I think, a, an amazing, uh, uh, amazing combo. And so I think it, that, that's why I really believe everybody's got to recommit to, you know, keeping that playful aspect in their lives because, you know, without it, you know, work just becomes work. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, it certainly, I think you've answered my question here in that, uh, it certainly feels like you're playing all the time. I didn't know if that was like, uh, your brand oh, or your, or your, or your, your bit, but it certainly feels like it's perfectly legit and you're, you're, you're having fun. It's a, it, it yeah, certainly I feels yeah, I, I would say that. I, I'd say, again, I just want to say I, I'm not trying to preach to people that, you know, hey, look, I'm doing it. You should, too. Well, I, maybe I am. Uh, but I'm, I, it doesn't come easy. As, as, as funny as it sounds, it does not come easy to to keep that play in your life. You know, we all have so many things out that just pile up on us and and. And, you know, whether you're looking at your your own life, your your family, your work or state or country or the world, you know, you can find stuff that'll drive you crazy. But I think if you just have to remind yourself to recommit to that, to the fun part of it and to the, you know, the loving, fun, exploratory. Uh, and there are many times where I forget that, but. You know, the, the more I talk about it, I'm off, I'm often just preaching to myself, you know, and, and, and that makes it real. I, I certainly spend a lot of time. I know when I'm doing it and I know when I got to go do more of it. <laughs> Look, I think that's a perfect thing to end on. I don't th you, you may be preaching yourself as no different than me. I do the same thing. Uh, I mean, you've got to keep that reality. I mean, by example, I know that today is 17,864. What day is that? That's how many days that I've been here. And uh, yep. I, I look at that every day. What number is it? Because I'm not going to get that day back. It's one, one day. Yeah, I don't know when it's going to end. Uh, hopefully later than sooner. But I got one day here. I got to make the most of it. So I'm with you. Everybody should have their way of, of getting levity uh, and getting perspective. But I think, boy, you, you, you've done it well. And I think you're an inspiration to us all. Hey, before I be leave, though, I want to play a little game. And sure. I've never done this before, so it may be an epic fail. <laughs> 
But what I, 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 I'm going to ask you, underrated or overrated, and give you a topic. Now, I know the easiest thing probably to do is say underrated and like everything. Uh, but look, I'm asking you to be very objective here. Give us some insight. Uh, okay. and, and look, I'm, you know, it doesn't have to be a dissertation or anything else like that. I'm just looking for the answer. And then, you know, if you have a perspective, then, then share it. Fair. Sounds great. I like All it. All right. Underrated, overrated. First one is artificial intelligence, AI. Underrated. Why would that be underrated in your mind? You think it's going to take off? With all of the hype, I actually think it's, it's potential for changing the world is we're just beginning to see. And by that, I, I think both, uh, I, I tend to be a technical optimist. I think it's going to actually, you know, give far more than it, than the, the negative. On the other hand, there are real concerns about it in the short term, you know, in terms of security, uh, you know, privacy and fairness longer term in terms of super intelligence, I remain an optimist. And I think we, you know, even with all the hype, I believe we don't, I, I think this is fundamentally part of our evolution. And uh, we will look back, whatever that we is, we'll look back on these, these kind of baby step moments and uh, we will be surprised at how impactful it was. All right, good answer. Driverless cars. I will say overrated in the following. I, I mean, I believe that it's inevitable, but I believe it's going to be longer before we actually have 100% self-driving cars. It, there are just too many uh, human issues in the way, but I do think it's it's got to get there. And I'm a big believer, both that, that from a human safety standpoint, it's going to make an incredible difference. It's going to be such a wonderful thing. On the other hand, I think that there are going to be some problems, you know, uh, you know, with, with catastrophic, uh, implications that are going to slow things down, but it's going to have to eventually get there. So why, and the only reason I'd say overrated is I think that we're underestimating how hard this is going to be to transform, but it's got to get there and it's going to be huge. Just witness for a moment that if you've been on an airplane in the last 10 years, that's a completely automated, you know, a commercial airliner flying, tr you know, transatlantically friend of mine flies for Air France told me that I think you only have to have your hands on the wheel for 45 seconds. And that's a legal requirement. The planes can land and take off and do everything else under normal circumstances. It's just you need the pilot for the not normal circumstances. So John, Bitcoin, underrated, overrated? I think Bitcoin is overrated in that there's so much hype around it and and so much speculation i personally believe that blockchain is also an incredibly important technology for use in other types of contractual uh um transactions things like trade food safety provenance of, of other goods you know intellectual property songs etc that said i think that all of the the kind of seediness around uh Bitcoin proper has created a kind of an artificial hype around the, uh, around the technology that isn't very helpful. Um, I do believe that cyber currencies are here to stay and it will be a, you know, a, a, a very good alternative to other types of currency. I just think it's got to settle down some. Well, you're right on my wave of thinking here because the next one was blockchain. <laughs> well, I'm a big believer that Bitcoin and blockchain are two very different things. I mean, I think that they're technically brilliant. I know some of the people who were very uh, instrumental in the early days. 
uh, I am a big believer that blockchain will find its value not just in currencies, and cyber currencies, but in you know uh, being able to uh, manage the transfer of goods and and the automation around the processes for that. Um, I've done a lot of work with blockchain and Internet of Things. Um, I think it will also, you know, in the, in the normal hype cycle of things, uh, will find some really, really fundamental things that it can do. Though I do think that there's, it'll, there'll be some winnowing out of, of places. You know, there's, it sometimes seems like people want to put blockchain in breakfast cereal. You know, there, there are certain uses <laughs> of it. But, but I think for anything that you, you really need to, to, you know, manage the, the, the chain of custody is of something through its entire life cycle and that you're, that's through a, an ecosystem of people who may may not have the exact same business objectives. It's a, it's a great technology. So that would be underrated then? I'd say that, uh, yeah, if I were going to say Bitcoin is overrated, I would say blockchain. I don't want to say blockchain is underrated because I think it's quite hot right now. Yeah, I'd say it's underrated. Let me say something. <laughs> All right, that's If fine. I can separate, yeah, yeah. That's okay. Uh, quantum, quantum computing. Oh, gosh. Um, I'm torn. So I would say it is underrated because as a proud IBMer, I would say that the, the technology in this is phenomenal. It is as, as as fundamental as the idea that zeros and ones as a you know abstraction for bits. It will be that important in terms of being able to you know record and calculate on logical states at a, at a scale that we've never been able to do. So that the types of calculations that we can do um, and uh, you know, will be fundamentally different. So I think it's underrated in how how amazing that will be. Um, the only caution I have is that I think it's still quite a ways away from, you know, from um, uh, full, you know, from ease of use. There, there are so many technical issues in terms of things like uh, uh, lifetime, you know, stability, correlation distances, things like that. You know, we, our scientists are, are looking at you know, how, what is the, the proper scaling of it? We have something called a quantum volume, which is more than the number of, you know, it, it, it's a, a more accurate measure of the growth of quantum computing over just the number of qubits. Um, that's the, 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 the smallest logical component uh, of, of quantum computing. I think it's going to take a long, quite, quite a while before you have like, you know, full scale commercial use. But I think that the certain types of problems that involve combinatorics, you know, large uh, exponential type problems, like uh, even things like cryptography, I think it'll have fundamental change on it. It'll just be a while before that actually has uh, sort of commercial implications. What I worry about, well, let me let me put it instead of a worry, let me put it as this. I think we have to manage our expectations on this because it's going to be a while before we actually have these machines ready to be easily used but now is the time we've got to start learning about these machines and how we would formulate problems you know modern problems into the strange way that we actually have to um, uh, decompose them to be able to map onto the system so i think it's now is the time to be doing it i just want to make sure that we don't get this expectation fatigue that it, there's a long process now of, of sort of doing that formulation and i don't want people to burn out on, on the potential because the potential is, is huge.
Really I think I think you and I are aligned on that one. If that that one's a tough one for me, I would probably say it's overrated in the short term, underrated in the long term. Because I agree, it's go. like amazing tech, and it'll. It, it, I think it's ultimately going to solve problems we haven't even thought of yet. Uh, so it's going to be interesting to see where it lands. Yeah, if I can make if I I, I like the way you said it. I think it, you have to be careful not to overhype it in the short term. But it is but it is a long ramp and we are doing the right thing to build up on this. And so I would say long term, it's we're under uh, like any any expansive technology like AI. I think we can't even imagine the fundamental change that this is going to make. But short term, I just want to make sure that we don't overheat it. All right. Data science. Underrated, overrated? Overrated. And I'll tell you why. Because we've always been doing data science. I mean, what is data science? Data <laughs> science, you know, we, just, we talk about it like it's a thing or big data is a thing. I mean, it's just kind of more of the same. So, I mean, I guess I've been doing data science for 40 years. So I kind of all of a sudden to go, are you a data scientist? I'm like, I don't know. Um, but I, I, I think obviously the techniques that we use uh, are advancing very, very quickly, but they've always been advancing very quickly. And so I just think it's more of same. So I, I believe that, you know, yes, data is the new oil, but data has always been really important in my mind. And I just think that we've got more purpose on it now. We have more storage, more bandwidth, more compute, and more is always better. Uh, <laughs> but unless it's, I don't know. That's a, that's a, that's a fantastic answer. I'll tell you why I'd say it's fantastic in a second, because my next one is the humanities. Oh, totally underrated. I think there is such a future in history. Uh, you know, I think, uh, I believe, well, I would say this on the, uh, the at the danger of being underrated. I believe that the, the things that make us intrinsically human, you know, um, philosophy, logic, um, compassion, empathy, psychology, sociology, those are going to be the things that we really got to get right when we start moving into these, you know, where we're doing more of a peer level interaction with compute, you know, in terms of, uh, you know, uh, augmenting intelligence through AI. And I worry, I don't want to stretch, scratch that word. I don't, it's not, not that I worry. I want to make sure that in, in trying to keep up with all these advances in technology, we don't start making you know, single dimensional people that just focus on that. I'm a history minor. I was a history minor at school. And I really think that we need to double down on those things. And, you know, topic of ethics, for example, um, yeah. you know, the kind of applied philosophy. If we, everybody who takes AI had better, be, you know, have a strong, strong, not just a, you know, textbook understanding, but really incorporate. So I think that humanities, you know, especially as many of these tasks that, you know, that we, we specialize in are going to be relegated to computers. We better be the best humans we can be. So I think well, look, pretty damn good answer, man. I, I, uh, in fact, you, I'm with you. I, I, I'll, I'll just say it. I worry because I think I was going to try to trap you and I'll explain in that, uh, but you're too smart for that in that, you know, the, the, the whole world's talking about data science going crazy over data science. And if that's underrated, you know, I, I, it would be hard to say that humanities is underrated too, because it is. I mean, I get what I'm trying to say is that, you know, you need both, but we've got to do the humanities. That's where we're at with augmented intelligence. It's right. You're right. It's about ethics, about bias. It's a, you could probably, or I'd make the case that it's needed more than ever before, 
ever before. And I think there's a lot of people out there saying, well, I got to, I got to take just computer science, or I just got to get into data science. I got to get into science and they're not that we don't have enough balance. That's just my take. That does worry me some. That does worry me some. All right. Reality shows. (laughs) Oh, overrated. (laughs) You're on a reality show. The food is the food. The food is overrated. No, <laughs> you are legit, man. See, see, now I know you're 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 very objective. And the last one, yeah. burners. Oh, underrelated. <laughs> Under underrated. Well, I think that Burning Man. You you know, there are many things about Burning Man and that kind of thing that are very self-absorbed, and you know, it's kind of a uh, you know. You have to be a certain kind of part of your life where you can cut, take that much time off and, you know, devote that much money to this. People will say a lot of that critical stuff. But I think the sort of self-sufficiency and the ability to interact with people that you don't know in a kind of a, a spontaneous, you know, loving way, uh, you know, or friendly way is an incredibly important skill, especially as we become you know, we become become more divisive as a society, and I think it has a lot of reasons. But, but I think actually sometimes tech is 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 responsible for making us more polarized. I think the ability to come together on for for no other purpose than just to enjoy each other's company spontaneously like that that is an incredibly human skill, and it's something that we need to work on. So while I would not necessarily say that Burning Man is the answer to all of that. Things like that that sort of force you out of your comfort zone into into other people's spheres and to do it, you know, with a, the only organizing principle is to everybody have a good time, not just me. I think that's great. <laughs> All right. I, I, I lied because I got to say one one more question, and this is going to kind of land or end where we started. Uh, the question is, is how do you continuously change? yourself. I mean, how do you embody that, the concept of continuously changing? Because I can tell you, even myself, sometimes you get in here and you're like, God, I mean, I got to learn more and more. I love to learn. Don't get me wrong, but you know, boy, it's, it's exhausting. The, the amount, the amount of change we have today and the pace we're on. So how do you do it? Well, you know, I think, you know, the, uh, change is inevitable. We're always changing. The world is always changing. Our situations are always changing. And it's whether, I don't think it's whether you change yourself, it's whether you want to help steer, you know, because sometimes you can't, you know, sometimes it's the world is going to happen to you. But the point is, is that if you don't have an, you know, if you don't have a direction, I sometimes think about the, you know, intention. I think your intention, my intention is to remain playful and you know, and, and, and put more of that back into my, you know, keep more of that into my life. I think that you need to have an intention to continuously, you know, grow and whatever growth means to you. Um, and that I, I think some people have, you know, we talk about attention deficit disorder. I think many people have intention deficit disorder because when you give up and you forget where you're trying to head, the world just buffets you around. And I think that having a principle, whether it's, you know, helping your human, you know, your, your fellow man or <clears throat> working on your golf swing or whatever it is, but something that actually <laughs> drives you, I think that you, you make, you make choices, you make informed choices and, and you, you start, you know, you, you aren't just adrift. And for me, 
the most important thing for that is is this playfulness is the ability to you know to stay have fun and share that fun with people i don't i can't even say why that's such a a fundamental need for me but i think it's it's the best form of communication you know if we're having fun together and especially you know if it's around something that we both care about like if for my case it's science but it could be for anything then we're both evolving and so i think it really comes down to you know setting an intent my intent is to share my passion for for science it, you know selfishly i i enjoy it is then then all of the changes that kind of are coming our way i make every i try to make every choice that sort of advances that you know that that gives me more of that or so or, or, or allows me to shed the stuff that isn't taking me in that direction. And then I think, you know, then at least you're steering as the world is kind of buffeting you around. Have intention, be playful and have fun. You're a fabulous, John. I mean, this has been great. It's been, it, it's exceeded my, my expectations. I, I gotta have to say, I've never went this long before. So thank you for putting up with me. Uh, again, great for a hundredth episode. We picked the exact right person. Uh, and uh, humbly, you know, I'll beg you here and, and offline is that we'd like to have you back and I'll, I'll do a better job and rains rains. This has been great though. I just love this. I could keep talking all day. With you. That's the problem I, but, uh, fun for me too, Al. <laughs> but I'll rein it in and, and we'll talk about some specific items on the, on the technology. Um, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. No problem. I really appreciate it. And I appreciate your flexibility and Elaine, I mean, Megan, it's uh, super great meeting you. And let's follow up on this uh, burner thing. You know, that would be great. <laughs> You've met a kindred All spirit right. there. Hey, and lastly, for my buddy Scott that's listening out there, and he says some of these are too technical for him. How was that? John just killed it. Thank you, John. I appreciate it. <laughs> See you all. Okay, let's talk tech next time. All right, thank you all. <laughs> See you guys. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to the Making Data Simple podcast, where we make data fun. Be sure to visit ibmbigdatahub.com forward slash podcast to access the show notes and uncover even more great episodes. Remember, the views expressed here are those of the host and its guests and do not necessarily represent the views of IBM. Until next time, let's go over and out. Oh.